One of the things that I uh, realized in Cuba, you're going to hear a couple of stories from there today, um, but that there's some universal things that happen in the world. One of them is, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, see, you're Western New Yorkers, and you're part of the crazy cult known as the Bills Mafia. Did you know that the Bills Mafia shows up in Cuba? I'm sitting there minding my own business, playing cards. I guess that's what you do in Cuba. And uh, Melody, who was with us, lets out the chant. And this guy walking down the street responds. I was like, this is really weird. It made me think about something. What's our chant as Christians? Like I knew this dude was a a Bills fan because he was wearing, well, he was like a walking billboard. I mean, he looked appropriate. He was in Cuba. I mean, they wear whatever they want down there. But Bills shirt, Bills shorts, Bills hat. I mean, it wasn't hard to identify. The first question we asked him was, well, who won the game? And he's like, they don't play till tonight. And then Mel and Harry and I spent the next 12 hours trying to figure out how we were going to watch the game. That didn't happen. How do we chant for Jesus? Because we're real quick to chant for our sports teams. We're even cheering for them after they lost a... Ah, who wants Monday night back? Nah, nobody does, right? It's a, it's a football game, people. <laughs> you know, yesterday was a really good day. One of my friends is going to share a couple of minutes about that. He happens to be wearing a Bill shirt too. Can we make this microphone go live? Okay, I've learned something about this. You got well, you know what you're doing. You're a, you're a sound guy. I gotta talk like this into it too, you know. Yeah, you do know what you're doing. Tell us tell us who you are. I'm Mike Martin. I think most of you know me, but if not, I'm Mike Martin. Um, yesterday we had the Thanksgiving giveaway, and it was amazing. Um, yeah. God showed up and. So many ways. Um, before the event, I, went, I took time to go up to my site and just, and just pray over my site. And Normally, I've just been so busy the time bef- or before that, I haven't done that before. But this year, I made it a point that that was what I wanted to do because I wanted God to show up, and ma- he did. <laughs> and to give you some stats, um, we fed 6,039 people. Thanks, Jimmy Meal. Yep. We had 347 volunteers. Oh, yep. wow. Yep. In between church congregations and local businesses, we raised over $41,000 for the turkeys and pies and everything. So, yeah. It was. But on top of all that, not only did we feed people food, we fed people the gospel. And that was the most important part. Um, right. We had people that were going around the schools doing prayer walks, praying for the people that were there, but also praying for the schools um, that we were at. And it's been really neat for God to be taken out of the schools like he has been, for the schools to back this event like they have. has just been awesome. Uh, We had the Gideons show up, and they gave out 550 Bibles as well. Um, Yep. And people were just 
praying with people as they're in line, witnessing to them, going to their cars. My wife alone, she, I know at least four or five people that she prayed with as she walked through their cars with them. Um, it was just, it was an incredible day. And my favorite part of the day was we started unloading the trailers about a little after one. And this guy showed up. He was the first one there waiting for food. And he goes, can I help? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure, you can help, you know. And he helped unload the trailers and did everything that he could. And then he, he was the first one there. Well, by the time that he got back in line, he was like 50th in line. And I went up to him. I was like, you know, you were the first one here. You can get first in line. He's like, no, no. He goes, I'm, I'm good. So the line starts going through, and he gets his stuff. And I come back, and I see him in line again. And he goes, I'm going to help her out, get stuff to her car. And he did this like four or five times, just kept helping people. And at the end, he comes up to me, he goes, I just can't believe that you guys would do something like this for the community. He goes, this is just amazing. And it's, that, it's stuff like that that makes me so passionate for this ministry. So it was a great day. Thank you for everybody that helped and however you did. And I can't wait to do it again next year. I coach uh, girls basketball. And uh, one of the girls on our basketball team uh, her family attends Conduit Ministries. And uh, she's at a footsteps retreat. So I was with her this weekend. And last night she says to me, she says, how'd the Thanksgiving giveaway go, Pastor Joe? And I said, it went, it went great. And she goes, you know, Pastor Cameron this last week, he stood up and he told everybody that this isn't a competition, but if it was, we won. And uh, he's probably right numbers wise. But I know Cameron and I, well, first of all, Cameron and I are birthday buddies. But I know Cameron and I also know that he and I both share the passion that when, when the tide comes in, all the ships in the harbor rise. And the kingdom of God is who won yesterday. Uh, and the kingdom of God is, is wherever the king is, right? So it's been, it's been great to partner with other churches and with other businesses, as Mike shared. You know, as you were sharing that story about your highlight, Andrew and I were talking this morning about a very similar story about a guy that just showed up and said, hey, I want to help. <laughs> like, wow. That's what, that's what church is, right? I mean, this is important right here. What we're doing right now is important. This is the teaching aspect. But church has lived out Monday through Saturday, right? You can't be a saint on Sunday and an ain't the rest of the week. The Bible makes that crystal clear. They called those people Pharisees, actually. And the end for that wasn't really good, Jesus said. It's just good to be back. You know, uh, the Cubans do some things really well that I, people ask me, you know, well, what, what's a takeaway from your mission trip to Cuba? One of them was uh, that the Cubans do hospitality way better than I do, right? Uh, Cuba is a seriously oppressed country, right? Um, socialism leading to communism, that's not good stuff, friends. And if you've never experienced that firsthand, like you read about it in the history books, but until you engage with people who are literally oppressed and held hostage, you don't understand really what it is. There's something that happens in the engagement face-to-face -face with people. But uh, the Cubans do hospitality really well. They don't give out of their abundance. <laughs> they don't have anything they just give generously because God has given to them. Uh, the other thing I took away was that people are people all over the world. 
right? We are human beings created in the image of God and of sacred worth. The other thing that I took away is that God is God all over the world. People are like, well, I got to go there to experience the Holy Spirit. No, that's a lie, actually. You want to know where the Holy Spirit is? Right here this morning. You don't have to go anywhere. Jesus says, if you, if you seek me, you will find me. I want to pray, and I'd like you to pray for me. And then I have a message where I think you're going to find hope and encouragement and, and recognize that the future is really bright. But let's pray together first, shall we? Holy and gracious God, uh, Lord, you know the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are, are nothing apart from the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, use them as you see fit. Build your kingdom here as you see fit. Let me uh, be lifted high or laid aside. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today, Jesus. Prepare the hearts of those who are going to receive the message. And God, may it be uh, found on fertile soil. In your name we pray. Amen. What's, uh, what's Cuba known for? Cigars. That's a, that was a quick one. What else is Cuba known for? Rum. Rum and cigars. What else is Cuba known for? Coffee. Oh, the farm that we went to, they have coffee trees. I've never seen coffee in the wild. Maybe you have. I haven't. Uh, it grows on a tree, and they're like little clusters. And uh, they look like little peanuts, kind of, actually, when they're growing. And... Um, it was just kind of cool to see that process of they harvested some of them and they got them laying out and they're drying and they're getting ready to, to make coffee. Well, Cuban coffee is a little bit different than American coffee. In fact, when you go to Cuba and you ask for a, an American coffee, it's called an Americano and it's really just watered down Cuban coffee. It's like an espresso. I mean, it's just like tar. Your spoon stands up in it. But it's a little bit sweet. So they, they, they brew it with some raw sugar in it. And it's, it's just, oh, you can suck that stuff down. Wow. And it just has great side effects. Like, you feel great. <laughs> on, uh, on Wednesday, on Wednesday, um, we ran out of water. And uh, the farm that we were on in Cuba right now, they're rationing electricity all across the country, except for Veradero, because Veradero generates a ton of money. That's where everybody goes for vacationing. Okay, that's right on the ocean. It's beautiful. It's, they don't ever lose power. But the rest of the country goes without power for six to eight or ten hours a day. And uh, we woke up one morning and there was no running water. You know what Americans don't do real well? No running water. I'm like, oh, no. And uh, my Cuban friend uh, that was there didn't speak a lick of English. And I'm trying to tell him we don't have any water. And he kind of figures out what I'm saying. And... Uh, and he, and he starts making some phone calls and he figures out how to get the water turned back on. And we cheer raucously and it's, you know, we're excited. Yeah, now we can wash our hands or something. I don't know. And, uh, and he's getting ready to leave and uh, he grabs me by the hand and, my, and he says, come, come. And I'm like, okay. So we're wandering back to his house. Now I should tell you that his house, uh, to give you perspective, if I know you're online, so this, I can't move too much. But it's like, well, it's 10 by 10, not even. 100 square feet at best. And it houses him, 
I think it's his wife and his wife's daughter or his daughter, their daughter, something. 10 by 10. And there's a little dilapidated sheet for the door. Now, mind you, I was staying in this very nice, like Adobe style house, brick house, with air conditioning in all the rooms, except for mine. He didn't barely have electricity. He had one light bulb plugged in that only worked part of the time because the electric didn't work. You're following me, right? And I'm following him, and my friend Harry was with me, and uh, we get back to his, his house, and he takes us up on the little porch. It's like a little dirt porch area. And uh, I'm like, what's he want? What's he, he's going to show us something. And obviously we have the language barrier. There's no translator with us. And he's got this bottle on the, on the shelf with no, uh, it's clear liquid with no label on it. And I'm like, hmm, what's he going to do with that? I thought maybe it was rum or something. He was going to give us a shot of it. I don't know. And, uh, and he opens it up and he pours into the cap. And then he puts it on his hands and he rubs his hands. And uh, it was water, I'm assuming. I never asked him. I have no idea. Uh, and then he had two little cups. And he took uh, those little cups and he looked in it and there was some, some black fluid in it. It looked like uh, oil. And uh, he threw that on the ground and he took a cap full of water and he put it in there and then he put his nasty, dirty finger in there and he wiped it out and he dumped it out. And he did that for both the little cups. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching him wash dishes right now. And then he took this really old little... Uh, little coffee pot thing that he had heated up that morning and he poured this sludge out of it into these little tiny cups and he handed me it. And I'm, I'm kind of process. I'm giving you my lifetime processing, right? I'm thinking to myself, am I going to drink this or not? The water definitely wasn't boiled. And I just watched him wash it with his dirty, nasty finger. Bottoms up. And he just looked at me. His name's Alex, by the way. I got that. Well, it's actually Alexis. I shortened it to Alex. And the coffee was good. He said it was from the beans that he had picked on the farm. He kind of was showing us, and that's the conclusion I came to at least. He shared some of his coffee with me and with Harry after he had worked really hard to get us water. That's not the way that's supposed to go. We're supposed to bring him in and share our coffee with him. Tom's been preaching a series on kind of the end times and what life is going to be like and the necessity of being prepared. And I just want to invite you to uh, maybe two words. And they come from Jesus and they're found in the Gospel of Matthew in the 24th chapter. He simply says this, be ready. Be ready. That's after he gives the explanation that no one's going to know the hour. Not even, listen, friends, listen very carefully. Spoiler alert. Jesus doesn't even know when he's going to be sent back, okay? He says not even the son knows. When Jesus says that, he means it. 
So all this time that we spend processing, trying to figure out, okay, Lord, are you coming now in anticipation of what's to come? No, 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 don't, don't get sucked into that trap. The church for 1,800 years didn't, didn't buy into that. They just said, the day of the Lord is near, be ready. Don't be caught like half of those virgins with their lamps with no oil, right? Don't be caught like the guy who, who had the talents and went out and, and, and brought it back. So well, I got what you gave me, but I didn't do anything with it. Don't be caught like that. Just be ready. If you're ready in season and out of season, you don't have to worry. I heard a great line yesterday from Pastor uh, Mike Beckerink. So Footsteps is this great community movement of uh, youth uh, coming together for a spiritual renewal weekend. And I'm telling you what, I like, I watched God descend on Mission Meadows last night in a way that I haven't seen in a while. It was, the Spirit's presence was palpable. And if you've ever been present when that's the case, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't been present when that's the case, I pray that you get to experience that. Okay? When you, get to, when you know that God is there and there is no denying it. Well, Mike said this yesterday, and one of the, the talks that's given is, uh, is the taking your faith seriously talk. And it's this invitation for, for our youth to really think about their relationship with Jesus. And different youth throughout the weekend give little sermons. They give little 15-minute uh, uh, talks, and, uh, and they share kind of about life. And uh, this young lady who uh, happens to be on my basketball team gave the taking your faith seriously talk. And afterwards, Pastor Mike said this. He said, you know, we were talking about faith and the significance of faith. And, and so often we try to generate faith, right? We try to make it something that we can produce. Well, the Bible makes it really clear. That's not how this works. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And then the next sentence is really important. And this not of your own. Because when we begin to think that we produce faith, somehow we're the ones that are doing the work. So that none may boast. And Mike said this. He said, you know, worry or anxiety strangles faith. Worry or anxiety strangles faith. And you begin to not be able to breathe. And we enter into what in our medical world is known as a panic attack. Maybe you've experienced that. I pray in the name of Jesus that that would never happen again to you. Because that's not from, friends, that's not from God. In fact, that's in direct conflict with who God is. The scripture says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of sound mind. I prayed that verse over our youngest daughter for over a decade until it finally took root. I've told you that story before. When we get sucked into the mindset of worrying about when Jesus is coming back and, and buying into all of that, we miss the movement of God right now. Salvation is not something that you get to experience later. It's right now. God Almighty takes up residency in you. You think about that for a moment. You think about that. That's why Paul uses the analogy of the tent, right? Our body is a tent. It houses the divine. 
If you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to, I have no idea what time it is, so bear with me. We're, I'm still on Cuba time. I asked the translator, I'm like, how long do I typically preach for? He said, oh, at least 45 minutes. I'm like, well, that means it's going to be like an hour and a half because you get the other half of that. If I'm going for 45, you're going for 45. He goes, yeah, that'll be perfect. I'm like, oh, okay. I have no idea what time it is, so bear with me. But if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter five, uh, 4. I know the, the screen says chapter 5. But uh, in preparation, I told Casey this this morning, poor Keeley's back there running the show for the first time. Welcome aboard, Keeley. This is called Preaching with Pastor Joe. Uh, you can't just start in the middle of a thought. That's the problem. You can't just start in the middle of a thought. If you want to know the whole story, you've got to back up a little bit to chapter 4. Okay? And I want to just read this section. And I know it's kind of long, so just, I don't want to paraphrase it. I just want to read it for you. Just, just listen to the word of God about what life is going to be like when Jesus returns. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of context and backstory to it, okay? So it says this in the 13th verse of the 4th chapter. It says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Underline the word fall asleep. That's a really important word, actually. Uh, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. I should actually probably teach through this while we're going, so just pause for a moment. It's significant that he uses the word asleep. You know how often we say um, when someone dies that they're, they're dead? And that's kind of like, I don't know, it's just like more like there's nothing else after that, Right? The early church understood that they're not, <laughs> they're, they're very much there still. You might not see them anymore, but they're very much there still. They've fallen asleep and they will be awoken when the time comes. He also says what the order is going to be, okay? And this is really important. He says that the dead in Christ or those who have fallen asleep will rise first, They will rise first, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The future with Christ is really, really bright. One of the things that has given me hope and encouragement uh, in the, the loss of loved ones of people that I know and I am near and dear to, that I've had special bonds with, right, is that on that glorious day, I'll see them face to face. I think of, like, the first name that comes to my mind is my father. I'm really hoping Jesus returns while I'm still upright and walking rather than sleeping. He'll come up out of that grave and then I'll join him. Now this is where you need a little bit of teaching, I think. Um, the Bible was written, this portion of the Bible was written uh, almost 2,000 years ago now. Okay, just under 2,000 years. And to understand kind of what's taking place in the scriptures, you've got to understand a little bit of context. So in the first century, 
when war takes place. And that's the, that's the imagery and the understanding of the early church is that Jesus was off doing battle in the unseen realm until he comes again, right? He's not just sitting there hanging out doing absolutely nothing, right? He doesn't have his feet up on a pedestal just waiting for some specific day. He's doing his bidding in the unseen realm, the Bible says, actually. And uh, what's happening here is when kings would go off to war, this is very important. It's not like battle today. When we do battle today, we keep all of our important people at the back of the line, right? We don't want them on the front of the line. That's not how it was then. Think of the movie Braveheart. Mel McGinnis wasn't at the back of the line. He was on the front of the line, right? Leading the charge. That's where the king is. That's where the the leader is. So the imagery that Paul is using to to tell the people what's going to happen is the king is going to return to the king's rightful kingdom. He's off doing his battle. We are going to meet the king in the clouds, it says, right? What takes place after that, and this is where history is kind of an important thing, is the townspeople, when the war was over, the townspeople would go out to meet the king. They would see the king coming in the distance. And they would go out to meet the king. And then where do you suppose they took the king? Back to the king's kingdom. And they will usher him back and be with him forever. So we will meet the king upon his return. And then we will usher the king back into the kingdom. When you read the end of the story and... You know, I was going to preach from Revelation 21, but Tom ruined that. The last two Sundays, I'm like, dude, you didn't tell me that. You read the rest of the story, and it says the new Jerusalem will come down, right? Our final resting place, friends, is not this heavenly euphoric place that we have imagined in our minds or that we've even read into in the scriptures, Our final resting place is earth. A recreated earth, actually, is a better way to to say that. Restored earth. When you continue on in chapter 5, he says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. He says, For you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, can I just let you into, like, this is where my mind went. (laughs) You're getting lifetime unfiltered, Joe. Let's, Let's just back up for a minute. Peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. I really thought Jackson Graham was going to be at the leadership meeting on Thursday night. Labor pains came upon Katie, though, and they had to go. He didn't anticipate that. (laughs) But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day, and we do not belong to the darkness or to the night. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
for he died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And then he says this, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Tom last week challenged you to take uh, studying the Bible seriously, especially since we are living in the end days. I know that that's kind of a little bit cliche to say, right? Like, well, we want to know what the end is. Well, it's, it's been the end since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven. The church has taught that from the very beginning, that the day of the Lord is near. We're living in the end times. I'm not standing here today to to talk about rapture theology or any of that stuff. I just want to share with you what the Bible says, that you need to be ready and that the king is going to take up residency on earth again. One of the sayings that I have comes from uh, scripture and Paul told Timothy and when he was encouraging him in kind of his life and in his ministry, he said, you need to be ready at all times, right? You need to be ready in season and out of season. And I've been telling the clergy that I've been raising up this for years. I'm like, you just got to be ready all the time to preach. And uh, while we were in Cuba, Mel had an opportunity to, to, to share a message with youth on Saturday morning. And it was all mapped out. We had a very clean schedule of what we were going to do. The organized people loved it. And uh, we get there and Mel shares her message and they're doing a game. And the translator looks at me and he goes, now, pastor, could you share a message with us right now too? I'm like, dude. (laughs) And you know what popped into my mind? In season and out of season, buddy. Here's the deal. If I hadn't spent time with God that morning before the sun came up, I would not have been prepared to preach. We must be ready. Like it's not an option. It's not an option. My friend Alex, we're coming back to Alex. On Sunday, nope, Saturday. On Saturday afternoon, uh, we came back to the farm, and uh, we'd split up into two groups. Uh, half of them went to the city of Matanzas and were doing some work on a marriage retreat and some other stuff. And then uh, three of us, Peggy, Mel, and myself, were in uh, Hovianos at the farm. And uh, every day I had seen my buddy Alex, and I'd wave, you know, and we'd try to communicate, but we never could. And uh, I came downstairs, uh, and, and he was sitting on the, on the kind of porch area in our, our spot talking to the caretaker. And they're having an intense conversation in Spanish. And I recognized some of the words, like they were, they were using the word Apollos and Petros. And I'm like, well, that's Paul and that's Peter. So they must be, and then they use Christos, that's, that's Christ. So they must be talking about the scriptures somehow. And, uh, and I got up to leave because I figured it was a private conversation. And Alex, Alex looks at me and says, no, 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 you sit. And I'm like, oh boy. And I'm thinking to myself, where's my translator? I need somebody who speaks Spanish because I'm not picking up what he's putting down. And, uh, and he says, they, they go back and forth for a few more minutes and I'm just kind of sitting there watching, trying to pick up a few words. And, you know, I'm picking up like every 50th word. Cubans speak very fast Spanish, by the way. It's like real fast and real handsy. So I know when it's getting exciting because they're flailing their arms a lot. 
and, uh, and they're getting pretty intense. And I'm like, wow. And, and, and he looks at me and he says, you, you, you. And I'm like, oh boy. And he says, you a good man. I heard that, Larry. <laughs> it was quiet then when you groaned. And he said, you a good man. And then he stood up and he, and he, and he kind of, and he was kind of short. He was about this tall. And, and he puffs him. He says, you a good man. And I'm like, no, buddy. I am not a good man. In fact, I am the worst of sinners. And I'm thinking to myself real quick, I'm like, Jesus, you have to help me right now because he is on the edge. The pump has been primed for this man to receive the great gift of salvation. He had all the pieces to the puzzle. And he's got an English-speaking dude standing in front of him. Before we left, uh, Larry said, can I send you with some Bibles? I'm like, yeah, preferably in Spanish. And he gave me a case of Spanish New Testaments. And I said to him, I said, no, Alex, you're a good man, but not because of anything you've done. And I'm thinking to myself, I need a Bible. And we had given all of them away. But Mel came in clutch. She said, wait, wait. And she found one. And I opened that Bible to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And I showed it to him. And he started to weep. as he realized that, that he was a man of worth. And we went to the Gospel of John, and I showed him John 3, that God loved him. And I walked him through a couple of passages in that tiny little New Testament. The only thing that I wish in that moment was that I could understand what he was saying. Because he was talking really fast, and I have no clue. But I know that through the tears and the embrace that took place afterwards, that in that moment he experienced heaven on earth. And the future for Alex is really bright now. Hallelujah. And it was all because of a Gideon Bible. The problem is Alex can't see. He had glasses on and he's trying to read the fine print and I'm kind of pointing to it. We worked to get him a, a large print Bible. We can spend a lot of time arguing over when Christ is going to return. But the reality is, if you're not ready right now, it doesn't matter. And you need to be ready so that you can invite others to be ready. There's a lot of things we can do well. We can put on great Thanksgiving giveaways but if we miss what Mike said was the highlight of sharing the gospel, we have failed as a church. If we give everybody everything in the world, but we give, don't give them Jesus, we've failed. The end of the story is uh, 
pretty bleak for those who don't know Christ. Hell is real. It's the spot where, where we spend eternity separated from God. And it's a place that no one, no one should spend their eternity. No one. You know, one of the things that's kind of amazing is in footsteps, the youth lead the charge. And uh, on Saturday night, we go into a prayer service with them. And uh, we start praying really big. So we prayed for the world. And then we, uh, then we get a little bit smaller, a little bit more local. And then we prayed for our country. And, uh, and then we prayed for uh, broken, broken families. Because that's the reality that a lot of these kids are navigating. It's homes that have been fractured for various reasons. And we invited them to share out loud what they wanted to pray for while we were praying. And there's like 70 kids, 70 youth. And one of them said, and we pray for those who have caused sin against us. Let me phrase that a little bit differently. We pray for those who have abused us. That they would experience the transformational grace of Jesus Christ. That's tough stuff. That's the real deal right there. When we recognize that everyone, everyone is created in the image of God and of sacred worth. You know, we throw that around, that saying, you know, go to hell. Don't throw that around. Don't throw that around. That's not a, that's not a good thing. That's a very bad thing, actually. I'd rather love people out of that predicament. I'll leave you with the closing to 1 Thessalonians. The future really is bright. It's a good day to be alive. The opportunities are tremendous. The kingdom of God is here. Tom unpacked a little bit where the kingdom of God, you want to know where the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is wherever the king is. So he's right here in this little plot of land that I know about right now. And he's right there where you are and he's, he's everywhere actually. He says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. One last story. We went and did some home visits. And uh, one of the, the three of them were with uh, persons with disabilities, physical disabilities and mental disabilities. And uh, they were, uh, there was a young woman that we got to, to minister to a little bit and to pray with and to love her family a little bit. And there was a young man who we got to, to minister to and to pray with. And, and they were both um, mostly nonverbal, but were able to communicate. And it was a very sweet time. And then we went into this last home, and it was a little bit bigger than Alex's home, but not much bigger. And uh, they greeted us at the door with a big hug and a warm embrace. And then we went back to this bedroom, and there was a crib. And inside the crib was this woman's son. And he was stricken with severe cerebral palsy. And uh, I, when I saw him, I thought he was like six or seven years old. He's 18 years old. And... Uh, you know, it's in those moments that you, re like, things are kind of put into perspective a little bit about life. And um, I watched this mother 
care for her son. She was young. She must have been 30, maybe 35. I mean, she was young. She was a young mom. And care for this little boy. And she shared with us, and our translator was with us, so we were able to communicate a little bit better than me and Alex. And, uh, and she shared with us that, you know, there was, no, there was no significant other in her life. There had been a couple of men that had come into her life, but they, they didn't stick around, and they couldn't stick around because of her son. They just couldn't deal with that. And, uh, you know, she was so filled with joy. Her circumstance was pretty crappy, according to standards that we would say are somewhat normal. She knew what it is to give thanks in all circumstances. You know, I start pouting when my football team loses. Not anymore. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, cling to what is good, and avoid every kind of evil. If you want to know what it's going to look like to be ready, you can put those things right there into practice. Test everything, cling to what is good, and flee from everything that is evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who calls you, church, the one who calls you is faithful. And the Bible says that the one who calls you can do it. Jesus, thank you for your church. God, I ask that this morning as we, uh, as we take in that which you have given us, that your Holy Spirit would supernaturally ignite it on fire, that it wouldn't be a message of, oh, that was exciting and that was good stuff, but that it would be a transformational message where our lives reflect the glory of the one who is. That we move from a people of darkness to a people of light. And that not only is the future bright, but the present is bright too. Jesus, we long for that day when you will come again, when we will hear the trumpet blast and we will see the saints rising. But until that day comes, Lord, keep us faithful. Help us to be ready. In the name of Jesus, amen.